This is Four Advisors by Advisors. I'm your host, Evan J. Mayer. If you guys are enjoying this podcast, please go and subscribe and like and leave some notes. It helps get us in the algorithm, and we appreciate that. Uh, Today, we have a very special guest and Mr. James E. Mayer. He's got the same last name as me. He's got an initial uh, that that he goes with. I do, too. It's, uh, It's something mayors do, right? I like that. How you doing, Mr. Mayor? I, I'm doing well. I, I wasn't sure if you were going to call this like the Mayor Mayor podcast or the Mayor Squared. Mayor Squared was kind of my my thought. I thought that was funny. You know, it's funny. I'm very friendly with the mayor here in the city I live, and when I see him, I'll go, "Hey, Mr. Mayor," and he goes, "Mr. Mayor, Mr. Mayor." You know, so <laughs> it's fun. James is a financial advisor with the Huffman Mayor Paleo Group. Did I get the last one right? It's actually Palo. Palo. Yep. Palo Group. And a branch manager. He's located in the greater Cleveland area. And he's got 25 years in the business and 20 years with the same same company. In 2018, he got the Forbes Best in State Advisors ranking. So congratulations on that. Well, thank you. Yeah. Always great publicity. You know, it's funny. I had a client in here the other day and she's like, why are... It was the first time I met with the spouse and the spouse had said to me, why is not a hundred percent of our money with him? He's on, you know, he's on these rankings and the, the husband's like, oh no, no, we're doing that. We're doing that. So it helps to bring assets being on those lists sometimes. I, I definitely think it doesn't hurt. Um, you know, and I try to, I mean, I try to promote that because it is a big name. Um, and I've gotten it for five years or something in a row. And it, it's nice. It's nice recognition. It, it, Great recognition. And it's one of those things. It's once you're in the club, it's a lot easier to stay in the club than to get in the club, if that makes sense. So, Oh, sure. So tell us a little bit about your history in the business. How'd you get started? What's taken you from step one of, uh, I want to get in this business to, you know, I'm a branch manager of a humongous team. So I, I wanted, uh, when I went to college, you know, not many people in my family went to college. My aunt went to college and she became a CPA. So that was my thought you have to go to college and CPA that's that's where you do it so I'm getting an accounting degree I had way too much fun the first two years of school and I realized that I was not going to get a big eight showing my age a big eight accounting job and I did do a little interning during tax season it's like this job's horrible this doesn't sound like any fun I found a, a brokerage firm was hiring cold callers but they called it broker's assistants And I ended up barely getting the job. The guy who who hired me, uh, he said, I was going to pay you six bucks an hour, but your voice is really horrible. And I don't think you're going to be very good at this cold calling thing. So I'll give you five. And I was like, I'll take it. I don't care. So I I worked there through the end of college. He hired me on. I got... uh, got my licenses and eventually took a job at National City Bank, which was bought by PNC. So I spent two years as a bank advisor, you know, kind of shooting fish in the barrel and and dealing with that. And then I eventually, that was in Southern Ohio. I moved back to Cleveland and got a job at a regional firm called AG Edwards. And uh, through whatever mergers and whatnot, I've been in the same place in the last 22 years. Fantastic. Now, being in a spot that long, many advisors tend to stay 
in those you know spots. So if you've been somewhere 20 years or plus, the odds of leaving are, are highly unlikely. Now you've built up this team to, I, I, from what I saw on the website, something like 10, 10 members as part of the group between sales assistants and... I got nine and, a, and, and an intern who's dying to graduate college and, and get to work. And I'm trying to get him to get his, he can get an MBA in one year. I'm trying to push him into that. But how yeah, many advisors are part of that nine? I have five client facing people. I refer to them as not juniors, but two that, that are client facing that other have other responsibilities on the team as well. But then we have three partners and then the two client facing guys. Got it. And then the rest are admin. Yes. Got it. And how did that team evolve? How long were you on your own? When did you decide to start teaming with advisors? And then how did that grow? So my main, my original partner, um, it started in 2008. Okay. So, you know, I, I got into the business in 95, the market went up for four years. You could do nothing wrong. Uh, I moved back to Cleveland in March of 2000. And so for three years, uh, I built a book on you could do nothing right. And then 2008 hit and it was just kind of my partner's a CFP and he was big into research and I was more of the salesperson and I, I could network and build clients and it was just a good fit. So we ended up forming a team, bought a book and it kind of grew from there. <clears throat> the team blossomed 2017, bought another book added some more people and it's just kind of gone from there. You know, one of our, one of our team members was an analyst at a research firm. Another guy was a manager of a bank. One of my partners was a, a mortgage manager. So we've kind of got this diverse group that really think kind of can work with any client. You've got six, seven experts at any point in time to help each client. So it's really worked out, worked out quite well. Awesome. And AUM, I know the market got hit pretty hard, but go, coming into the year, where were you guys sitting roughly on the AUM side? Like, I think it was like, my goal was to get to a billion <clears throat> and, uh, you know, like January 14th or whatever, the peak of the market, it was like, oh man, two more weeks and we're there. And, and now we're not. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> so it's funny you say that. Cause it was the same thing for me, not quite on the billion number, but there was a number that I was looking to pass and, uh, you know, you're, as you're hitting there, it's funny when you're new in the business, you're trying to grow assets more by clients. And then you're trying to hit revenue numbers. And then you hit the half million dollar mark. And then you hit the million dollar production mark. And then from that point, it's no longer per se about revenue. And I don't know if you're the same way, but it, you know, for me, when I hit 1.5 or it would, that wasn't important. It was the AUM number. That was then the driving force for me. I mean, obviously the driving force is clients and relationships, but let's be honest, it's always good to have a target. I, I think that's extremely key is having a goal. I mean, at this stage of the career, and I, I've heard you talk and it sounds like you're in good shape and having a goal, I, I just don't, I, I don't want to do less than last year. I, I mean, it happened in 2009 and without a Hail Mary miracle, it's, it's going to happen again this year. And it's a great year, but it's kind of bums me out a little bit that, you know, there's not much you can do about it. Yeah. I think, I think part of that was like my, I was very fortunate. I, I worked in a bad situation in my first job, but the firm I worked at, <clears throat> it's 1995. And there was like five teams 
and they all did fee-based and they were all big content management groups. And they kind of made fun of the guy doing 500,000. It was 1995. Like these guys were like million dollar producers in 95, making fun of the guy doing 500,000. And like, that just was like in my head, like, you know, this is what you got to do. You got to grow. You got to build a team. You got to get assets under management. And it was, there was a lot of benefit coming from that experience. Yeah, no, having those goals and the competitiveness too, I think was always something big. And, you know, me coming from the bank channel, they used to share these leaderboards and that's what kind of motivated me. And then when I went independent, I realized they don't have them. And then I found Ray J actually does have a list of advisors, but I don't know anybody. So it's not like the same, you didn't get the same competitive juices going as when I left. I would say that was one of the negatives of going independent for myself was that you know, I didn't have that competitive bank atmosphere or wirehouse atmosphere. So, well, and I, I think that's, so one of my, one of my college buddies, we're both in college together. We both started at cold callers at the same firm together and we're still in friends. He lives about five hours away from me. So we play a game every year. Like who can bring in the most assets under management? The loser buys dinner. So I, I mean, I, I think you need that kind of, because you get to this level, there's nobody pushing you. I mean, nobody from Ray J's calling you and say, Evan, you need to do this. You need to do that. You're at a place where I'm assuming they're like, Evan, you do what you want. And so having a little competition, be it through, you know, friends or acquaintances or yourself, I, I that just motivates me. You, you got to find the things that motivate you for sure. So, you know, one of the things that you had actually reached out to me, I had interviewed, I believe it was Anthony Ruffalo when I had, when I got a message from you. I think you had mentioned something about you let you enjoyed the podcast and the minute I was like, can I have you on? First of all, I saw your last name and I'm like, <laughs> he's a mayor. Like I got to interview another mayor. And then I had heard from the grapevine, like, this is not just an ordinary guy. He's a top guy. He knows what he's doing. And then I said, all right, well, let me look him up. And I, I started looking you up and you do videos yourself. Now, not being on the independent chassis, you know, can you talk a little bit about like the creativeness of wanting to start doing that at your level? I mean, I don't do that by myself. I mean, I do this podcast, but to me, and that's my creative outlet, I guess. But to me, this is done through as an OBA and I just enjoy having conversations with people that are in this business. I just enjoy learning things. I think every one of my podcasts, I've learned something new. You're out there doing social media now. Why, number one, I guess I would say. And two, yeah, I'm guessing it's simply for that because I don't think most people are doing social media and collecting a ton of clients by doing so. And I don't also, maybe you're not in the position of, of that anyway. So I, I'll try to make this brief. So March of 2000, the way our system is set up, I have to put so much money into my expense account. So I commit to $60,000 in my expense account for 2020. I am going to do 30 dinner seminars, invite people in, we'll just explain our process, buy you dinner, hopefully get an appointment and go from there. Uh, so I've got, you know, 20 events booked in 2020. I'm getting ready to start doing them in March of 2020. Invitations, I'm getting phone calls. How dare you do so a gathering of people? Like, so I'm in trouble because like I have to spend this money or I lose it. And now I have no marketing plan because we're in the midst of a pandemic and you're not allowed to leave your house. So I stumble onto this like webinar show with this Corey 
kid and they got people on and they're talking about marketing and LinkedIn. And so it ends up, it's like your, you know, your people. So like Ruffalo's on, they have Ruffalo on and Keith on and these guys, and they're doing all this super cool stuff that I'm assuming I'm never going to be allowed to do. And so I'm sitting there like 60 grand to spend by the end of the year, I got nine months and all of a sudden they've kicked everybody out of my office. They've sent my kids home from school and management's like, well, you can have one person in the office, James, but you got to be there every day. So I got to come up with a way to spend this money and do something. And from there, it kind of started following all these people, started beating on compliance people and marketing people at home office. I, I need to do something. And it, it kind of blossomed from there. So it's been, uh, I, I would say it was COVID, like I need something to do. And I found, I, I mean, I don't think you do this stuff if it's not fun to you. I mean, mine might be horrible, it, 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 but I have fun with it. And the way I see social media, you post something that's terrible, the algorithm kills it. Nobody sees it anyway. So there's no real risk of something being that bad because nobody's going to see it. Yeah. So I had heard through the grapevine, you know, we all have proprietary planning processes, okay? And uh, things that we do with clients that we think are unique. And supposedly you have a very unique strategy, something about 32 points or 31 points or 39 steps or something. Uh, I, I don't think you caught on. I think you just caught on because you smiled. But uh, what is that? <laughs> I, that I don't know. I, I, okay. It might be some other mayor. Uh, okay. That's not you. I mean, we have a very regimented contact step of, you know, you walk in the door, you become a client. I've got the next 12 months in a calendar lined out on what you're getting from us every step of the way. And I think that's really important. The 39 points, I might've, you know, I don't know if it was Nick or something. I, I've got like a 32 step process that takes me to put a video online, but Maybe I don't that's think what I, it was. Yeah. That's, that's a story for another day. That's pretty boring. Um, but no, I think our client service model is, you know, we want to really get to know our clients. We want them to feel like we are that person and finding ways to make them feel special anniversaries, birthdays, things like that. Um, you know, grandkids, somebody has a grandkid, they're getting a Cleveland Guardians onesie, you know, like the next week and just try to find things that are very special to connect with your clients and, and go from there. Are you using a CRM system to kind of keep track of all that? Or is I that, is that... yeah. In, in 95, the advisor I worked for was on bill good. Uh, so I was exposed to, I mean, it really was a wonderful situation. They were very forward thinking. And so I was exposed to, you know, 95 fee-based process, contact management, you know, birthday letters, birthday calls, anniversary, like, very, very organized uh, way of managing client relationships. Um, so yes, we-, we Is there, we, is there we, a person on the team that kind of takes on that responsibility for the team? I have, I have a lady and it scares me to death that she would ever think of retiring. Um, you know, I joke with her, I keep screwing up her financial plan. So it says she's got to work five <laughs> more years. Um, but uh, no, yeah, we, we, I mean, we, that's, our team is pretty much divided up into specific roles. And one person on the team is the contact management person that, you know, James, you're doing this today and you're doing that tomorrow. And these are the people you got to call. And these are the birthdays and these are this. 
that. This is the important stuff. And it keeps me on track all day. Talk about a, a niche for a second. Um, you know, I, I've had a couple of advisors on that talked about they like to use specific niches. I had Joe Conroy on who, who, who he calls himself the anti-niche guy to some extent. And then I was at a conference in Austin and I never went to Austin. Our practice management said, hey, we're going to do something in Austin. I never go to these things because I, I occasionally you'll pick up one, two or three things, but normally you're not going to pick up something too dramatic. And I remember the, the speaker was on and she's like, Evan, you have to have a niche. And I'm like, well, can a niche be a certain type of client? Because that, you know, that's what Joe Conroy had alluded to when I had interviewed him. And, and like Nick Nielsen was very keen on, I like dealing with this specific niche. What's been your situation with niches? Do you focus on that? I, you know, <clears throat> we're about an hour outside of Cleveland. So I don't have this Silicon Valley, $10 million stock option. People stop in the portfolio. Not happening. Most of our people as Joe Lunchbucket had a 401k and I need to stretch that the rest of my life, you know, so it's cash flow management, social security anal analysis, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, I would say my niche is if you're five years from retirement and you want to figure out what you got to do to get the life that you would like, I I'm your guy. We're your team. So that tends to be, no, there's always a, an outlier there, but if somebody wants advice, I'm not overly concerned with how much money they have. You know, I'm happy to spend an hour with you helping you, you do this, 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 and this, and you'll be in better shape. It might not be the most economic pr productive time for me, but it might really make an impact on that person. So <clears throat> I don't know that we have a niche. If you're a jerk and don't appreciate our guidance and advice, you're out. But if you've got a hundred grand and you want someone to tell you what you need to do and you're going to do it, I got time for that. Awesome. Yeah. It's funny as I've interviewed advisors and we started this podcast trying to, you know, I'm asking that question. It's about 50, 50. And some of the higher producers are actually the ones that are least likely to have the niche. It's more about the quality of the conversation with the person in front of you. And are you adding, are you able to add value to them? And do they appreciate the value that you are adding? You are bringing in junior advisors or newer advisors, we'll call them that are kind of new to the practice. When you started, you were cold calling. Today's day and age, you know, are you still teaching them basically to cold call kind of the way you are? Are they doing things a little differently? I, oh, it was, uh, <clears throat> I, it's funny you bring that up. So one, one thing I actually thought about talking with you is when I took this job in March of 2000, my, my compensation agreement was I got six months of $1,500 and then it went away. So that was my sink or swim moment. And at the time I was, I thought that was cool. That was a good deal. I got a 50% payout and $1,500 guarantee. I moved five hours away, no clients, bought a list, start from scratch, go from there. That seemed normal. And then about 10 years ago, we were hiring uh, trainees at like a hundred thousand dollars. And I remember like talking to one of the upper management people. I'm like, this is crazy. I'm like, where would I be? <clears throat> If I got hired at $100,000, think of how far ahead I'd be. And the guy looked me dead in the eye and he's like, James, you'd be a $300,000 producer. <laughs> and I thought that was great. But uh, I don't think you can market like we used to. I don't think you can grab a phone book. I think you 
you have to network, you have to find ways to stand out and it would be a slow go from step one. So we're bringing people on the team with the idea of, you know, we'll bring you in, work with 401ks, build relationships that way. But I couldn't imagine trying a trainee off with the kill to eat mindset. Yeah, I, I, I would have no idea how to get started, <laughs> to be honest. And I think when I say that, I think the best thing to do is team up with people like me and you or people that have practices that are ever evolving and learn from them and take some of the low-hanging fruit as you start to build those relationships and work your way through the business that way to grow because I think the opportunities are there. There's a lot of older advisors that'll be retiring. I think they said a stat from Chris Jeppesen, who I interviewed last week or two weeks ago, had said, you know, 44% of advisors are, are of clients of advisors are going to leave that advisor in the next 18 months. I heard something like that. That's, <clears throat> that seems crazy when you think of it in your book and that like some of those people you really like, like if it's 45% of them that, I, I mean, I think those numbers are skewed, but I think you, you add in a down year of 20% people look, that's a reality. But uh, yeah, that's kind of scary. Well, I think relationships and contact, if you skewed those, you know, skewed those numbers to look at, you know, you and 10 other colleagues that, you know, are doing roughly the same numbers, I'm guessing that number is going to be in the single digit space. Yeah. And, and for some advisors, it might be in a lot higher end space that are leaving the business or, you know, so on. So um, I, I would be fascinated to see someone starting on their own, how they're doing it. I mean, and I'm having fun with our social media, so I'm not expecting much out of it, but it, it costs a decent amount of money. I don't know how a trainee would have the time or the money to spend to do that kind of social media. It, it's I, I just think it's you have to join a team or have a mentor or something. I, I agree. And I know there's a lot of people that are doing the social media. I don't know if many are getting a bunch of new clients doing that. I think at the end of the day, simply asking your current clients like, hey, you know, you have beneficiaries on your account. I haven't met them yet. I, I love the opportunity to get in front of them so that they know who I am. Something as simple as that would probably grow a lot more referral capability uh, than, you know, maybe the videos. But I will tell you, when I'm walking my dog at six in the morning, getting ready for work, and I'm, I turn on my phone and you're on there or Anthony's on there or Keith or Nick or somebody that I find interesting is on there doing something in social media. It's always an interesting thing. What I've learned most is, is that it's not about that. It's about the content creation and the enjoyment of doing it. So, um, I have fun with that. What I, I guess what I've, I've told myself, and I don't know if this is delusional is I, and we have a little metric game we play. <clears throat> I brought on 15 key households this year. And what I'm assuming is that most of these are referrals. And if you are referred to me, I'm assuming you're going to Google me. You're going to check me out. You're going to check our team page on Facebook. You're going to check out LinkedIn. So this content we're creating, I'm shaping the narrative of what you see of us. And that's where I look at it. I would love it if someone just, you know, DM me, hey, I won the Powerball. You're funny. And I'd like to sit down with you. I don't expect that to happen. If it did, it would be awesome. But I think it shows, okay, these people are doing things. They're trying to put out something that's educational. That's how I see it. It's, yeah. it's just framing what you see of me online. 
Well, as, as the guy that, you know, was my podcast coach, as I was creating this podcast uh, had said to me, it, you know, you are your brand and exposing yourself out there, the, the people are going to be looking. So I agree with you there. You know, what would be um, some key pieces of advice for that advisor that seems to not be getting over the hump? I mean, you did mention goals earlier. We sometimes see that advisor who's doing 300, 500, 700,000. And for whatever reason, their personality is great, but they just can't get over the hump. They probably have a lot more personality than me and you, no offense, but you know, they're very outgoing, whatever. What are they missing? What qualities could help them get over the hump? You know, I don't know that that can be done without motivation. Like you, you either want to do this or you don't. And some people make enough money. And I don't mean that like arrogantly, like some people make a hundred grand and that's plenty and they're fine with it. I would suggest maybe you and I, what we make, you said it earlier, that's not a motivator, but the idea of making more than last year, that sounds better. I mean, it's not going to mean we're going to spend a bunch more, but you want that trajectory to keep growing. So if someone doesn't have that motivation to take it to the next level, I mean, you could set up a process. I need you to do this, that, and the other. If they don't want to do it, they're not going to do it. I mean, and I'm not saying I'm the first one here and the last one to leave every day. I, I am, but like, that's because I like what I'm doing. You know, I don't think a lot of people that don't enjoy their job are going to be very successful at it. So if you like it, I think there's ways you can do better. But I, I mean, if you've been at three or 400,000 for 10 years, you know, it's, it's probably not going to change. Yeah, the, the, the motivation factor. Um James, you've been at the same spot for 20 years and uh, you're probably not going to give me the full legitimate answer now. We'll talk off the record, but there's a point in time of valuation and moving to a situation or staying in a situation where eventually you offload the clients to, you know, and again, you're young, I'm young, we're young enough. We're not at that <laughs> stage yet where we're calling it a day tomorrow, but you've been somewhere so long, most people will eventually just sunset in, in that location. What are your thoughts around that? Has that kind of been a thought that's come up in the last year or five years, especially with COVID and you know the world ending uh, hypothetically so, two years ago? So I'm 48 years old with an eight-year-old. So I'm assuming weddings, college, I got 20 years at least there, right? Yep. <clears throat> so that takes me to 68. One of the books I bought, the guy retired in 2021, he was 79 years old. And if it wouldn't have been for COVID, he wouldn't have retired. He loved coming to the office. So I've seen that. I got a partner who's 71 years old. <clears throat> He's in great shape. He likes being involved. He doesn't work 50 hours a week, but he likes being involved. And then something interesting happened to me, like my big competition, he just announced his retirement at 60. And he's super competitive. And I, I called him up and I'm like, hey, man, let me take you to lunch. And I just kind of shared with him, like, you know, you were motivation for me. You know, I would see when I came in, I drive by your office. I see your car. I see when I left, I drive by. If I, you were gone, I smile. If you were still there, I'm like, man, I'm a slacker. I'm like, how can you possibly retire this young? And he was like, James, I, I got enough money. I've seen people pass away early and I'm just done. And that kind of like shook me because I thought I'd work till I'm a hundred. Like I love my job. And so I don't know, I'd like to bring in enough people behind me, you know, that I'm fine just throwing the keys to and 
being good with it. I mean, when I got into this business, the goal was to make six figures. And, and, and that was, that was the top of the mountain. Everything since then has been kind of gravy. I'm very blessed, very fortunate. And I don't need to sell my book for top dollar. I don't care about that. I need my clients to be in good shape. I hope it's me that's doing it for a long time. But the nice thing about having a team is if I get hit by a bus, my clients are in much better shape than if, since we have the team. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's definitely, definitely a huge advantage. Well, James, it was fascinating talking to you, getting to know you a little bit, learning about your book. I love the fact, you know, one of the things that we both have is the competitiveness. And I heard a lot about that today, as far as, you know, the guy and you drive by his office and I was the same way. I would check the leaderboards, um, every week uh, we were there, you know, especially at the end of the month to make sure I was on top of that leaderboard at the end of the month. And I think that's the important thing when we talked to, you know, I think one of the big takeaways from, from this is that how important goals actually are. When I first started in the bank channel, I was actually wasn't looking at the revenue so much. I was looking at the AUM and trying to beat the guys that were doing the business the right way and trying to compete with them. And then when I got up to the revenue number, then it was fighting to do that. And I think that kind of, you know, even though at the end of the day, it's the relationships and it's the conversations you're having with your client, the ability to find something to motivate you and pull you forward, get you out of the daily grind of thinking this is a job because it's not, I mean, if you want, once you get to the top of the mountain, this is a luxury, not a job. Well, in my younger years, I was very petty. I, I mentioned my first job where it was 95, the guy was doing a million dollars. So I left that firm. He left the firm. I moved to Cleveland 15 years ago, 10 years ago, he came to the firm I was at and it was on because there was that cheat. Like this guy's got a 30 year head start on me. And the day I got above him on that, you know, I'm screenshotting it. I'm sending it to my buddies. I mean, it was like the greatest thing. But to your point of you get to this stage, that that doesn't matter as much. It's not as big of a driver. And that's where I think this social media stuff, like I would like to get better. I would like to, you know, when I'm, certain people that you've had on your show, like if Anthony Ruffalo likes one of my posts, I'm like, man, that I made it. That's a good one. Those kind of things are, you know, oh, you got to get invited on the truthful mutual uh, with them. I mean, if we're, if, you made it. I mean, if we're, if we're being honest, you know, the, the cameo on truthful mutual, I mean, I would pay for it. I, I don't care. Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, no, that just, you know, seeing people you admire the way they do social media and the good stuff they put out when they like your stuff back, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm getting somewhere. I'm, I'm doing something good. So yeah, I think it's just, you find something that motivates you differently and you want to be competitive at it. Cause that's the only way I know how to do it. For sure. Hey, actually, funny enough, um, I'll leave you with this. There was a post I was reading about, I don't know, an hour ago. And it was like, somebody said like, what would you do if you had a billion dollars or you won the Powerball? And you know, you should go see attorneys and Anthony Ruffalo had wrote, um, I would open up Hobra Kai dojos throughout the valley. <laughs> I was dying. I was laughing. Um, so, Hey, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, James, how do they do so? LinkedIn, LinkedIn is fine. LinkedIn. All right. Uh, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Uh, please subscribe, like, we appreciate all that. James, thanks again for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure to have you today. Yeah, Mayor Squared. I like that. Mayor Squared. All right. See you, buddy. Thank you. Right. You too. Bye-bye.